Hello friends, this is Johnny John Bonbon once again talking about the mind scribbles of his stream of consciousness. One topic I found very interesting ever since 1999 is simulation theory. Now, let me take you back to this time. For those of you who were born in the 2000s and later. In the year 1999, our family, who was somewhat of an exception, had two Macintosh computers. Now, sometimes when people would come visit they would be blown away by the idea that we had more than one computer. Now, these computers were connected to dial-up internet, which if you've never had the opportunity to experience this, just imagine if on your Instagram feed, it took several minutes for a single image to load in your feed. And for a video, let alone an HD video, it would take several hours. So one particular venue or avenue or program in which we were downloading, quote, illegal material was through Napster. And we would, we were absolutely thrilled by the idea that we could get access to a song that we didn't have an actual copy of on disc or tape. And so we would think of an album we really, really wanted, which in order to purchase an album or CD at this time would usually cost about 15 to 20 dollars and a trip to the mall to go to the CD store or the music store. And so we would find one of these albums and we'd have to individually find the songs that made up that album. And one by one, hopefully we found a source that was reliable and we'd add it to the download queue. Now, being that it was dial-up internet, That meant that since none of us had cell phones, if anyone wanted to make a phone call, they would not be able to do so while we were using the internet. So my brother and I would do all of our searches right before we went to bed and we'd go to sleep and we'd wake up as if it was Christmas morning and run down to the computer and see how many of the songs would have downloaded. And on a typical morning, possibly three songs would have downloaded. Now just imagine, each of these songs is maybe one to three megabytes. So overnight, we would have gotten a small portion of an album, and we were thrilled by it. So over the span of a week, we would have successfully downloaded an entire album. And then we'd have to find the album art and we would often print that out. We would find an empty CD case 
we'd put it in there, we would get CD labeling kits and which were basically stickers and we'd print the CD art onto these labels. Then we'd have to get a CD burner and we'd have to burn it onto the disc and then we could add that to our CD collection. And to us, it was like printing money. Now, fast forward to today and within seconds, someone can name a song and with a little device that's the size of a deck of cards, we can find that song and play it on a wireless speaker within seconds. So that was just music. Uh, for movies, we had to go to the store and get them on DVD or VHS tape or go see them in theaters. There was no such thing as Netflix, no such thing as streaming, no such thing as YouTube. And if we ever wanted to text or chat with friends, we wouldn't do that on the road. We would do that using a program like MSN uh, or micro basically Microsoft Instant Messenger or AIM. And we'd have to be at our computers typing to each other. Now, a few people had cell phones and those who did have cell phones had three main capabilities. They could send text messages, they could make phone calls, and possibly they'd have some Atari level game built in. And that was it. And they were the size of a small brick. Now, this year, 1999, is when the movie The Matrix came out. Now, when I saw the trailer for The Matrix on television, I thought that I had seen some secret government conspiracy that I wasn't supposed to have seen. It had these crazy flashy videos of what's called bullet time, which was the first time anyone had ever seen anything like that. And even the website was whatisthematrix.com. So they didn't make any efforts to actually reveal to anyone what the matrix was. And of course, there wasn't social media, so these ideas didn't spread very quickly. It wouldn't just show up in your Instagram feed. You'd have to actually go digging for it. So my brother and my dad went to go see this because I was too young. Well, basically, we, we were pretty conservative. And I wasn't 18 or 17 to see a movie without parental guidance. So my, my dad took my brother, they went to see it, and they came back and they were like, you have to see this movie. And you have to pay close attention every single second because there's so many little details packed in that you might miss something. And I went to see it and I was absolutely blown away and floored and confused and after having seen that the movie was i would say like a religious experience and even as i was watching it i still didn't fully grasp the concepts and even after having seen it two or three times after it came out on video i still couldn't fully grasp the idea of 
a virtual world in which we were plugged into through our brains. Nowadays, you know, the movie's been out for over 20 years, and this is a common idea. For anyone born in the 2000s, this is just as common as, let's say, the idea of the Terminator was for me. And, but now, after having studied simulation theory, after it's been brought up several times in different talks and mentioned by people like Joe Rogan and Elon Musk, I decided to rewatch The Matrix. And I was just as blown away as I was the very first time that I saw it. Because now I'm seeing it from the future of when I originally saw it. And having seen technology progress in the way that it has to the point that now I'm using virtual reality. And I'm actually having dreams that I'm using virtual reality. And the lines between the dream world and the virtual world and the real world have become much blurrier. And with developments currently taking place with augmented reality and also companies like... Oh no, I forgot it. Um, Neuralink. Neuralink which is a brain-computer interface company in which um, hair-sized, I guess you could say, cables or wires are stitched by a machine into the human brain in order that the brain can communicate directly with a digital system through a wireless Bluetooth transmitter. So where people can actually think commands and it's basically like what's seen in Ghost in the Shell where people can use what they called in the movie version Mindify where they're actually chatting over thought with each other. And so these things are actually becoming reality. And now we live in a world where we carry in our pocket, a phone with more technology than the fastest computer in the 90s. And, you know, uh, able to transmit HD video over the airwaves instantaneously. And where everyone's connected to the internet and everything can be known we can speak to our phones and they respond and they retrieve information at will. So, where was I going with this? Well, basically, I think for me, being a futurist and having been a futurist ever since probably I was six or so, I was raised watching all sorts of sci-fi movies in the 80s, like Blade Runner and Terminator and Ghost in the Shell and things of the 90s. Sorry, Ghost in the Shell was 90s. Um, and The Matrix, 
and Inception and Minority Report. Even watching Minority Report, the majority of what's discussed in that film has already manifested. So, one thing that I've thought about is ah, yes, simulation theory. So, wondering is this current reality an actual base reality? Or is this a simulation within a simulation within a simulation? And let's say that this is a simulation. Now, I've had dreams where I basically dreams in which I was in a simulation. So let's say I was some sort of entity outside of this simulation. So let's say it's just like if you're playing virtual reality, you take the headset, you put it on, and all of a sudden you're in the world of this video game and you're seeing from the perspective of that game character. Now, just to go on a slight tangent, I've heard people discuss when you're playing a game like Mario, are you Mario or are you controlling Mario? Do you take on, does your identity take on Mario? Like, do you imagine that you are that actual character running through space? So, in the same sense, you could think, all right, at some point, some entity that is perhaps our consciousness got to connect with some sort of system equipment or maybe plug in and kind of like in the movie Blade Runner, we've been given a lifetime of artificial memories that are prior to this current moment so that when we think back, just like any game where the main character has a storyline that led up to where they are currently, perhaps this character that we are taking control of in this simulation, which happens to be our body and our identity, has had memories artificially implanted. And now we're just taking over from this point and we're actually able to access those memories as if they are our own. Now, one way I think that you could test if this is actually a simulation is to try to exit the simulation with your will. Because if this were a simulation, if it were like any other video game, there would be some sort of quit or power off or reset or game over or main menu. So can we call up some sort of menu in order to exit the simulation? Now, of course, I'm not advocating any form of self-harm or insinuating that in any way. But I'm just thinking, could we wake up from this somehow by sheer will? And so far, I haven't been able to do that. But the one thing that I find fascinating is that, and I, I mentioned this in a previous episode uh, where I was describing a lucid dream that I had. I was in this dream 
And I wasn't certain whether it was a dream or not. And I was actually aware of my own thoughts and consciousness and thinking and wondering this and questioning this. And so I started testing my dream environment for signals of reality. Like, could I, could I test this and could I be convinced whether or not it was a dream or reality? And in that dream and in many other dreams in which I've done this test, I was convinced by the dream that it was reality, that I was actually awake. So I've also had dreams and even last night I had trouble sleeping because I had a lot going on in my mind. I would sort of lie there restlessly and think about things I've got to deal with or maybe things that I don't want to deal with. And then I would drift into a dream state in which I was still discussing those issues with people in my dreams. And then I would fade out of that back into this reality where I'm lying there still continuing to think about these things. And also, you know, I'll be referring to this other episode quite a bit. Um, I'm trying to make it a practice that I am aware, I am self-aware that I am present whether I'm dreaming or I'm awake. So that I'm actually present that I'm in these different states versus what often is the tendency. This is kind of demonstrated by the young recruits experience when Leonardo DiCaprio's character brings her into the dream world and is explaining how it works. And they're sitting at these at this table at an outside cafe in Paris and she actually didn't realize she was in a dream. And this is often our experience in a dream. We just find ourselves in a dream and we're just doing the dream thing. We don't remember how we got there. We don't realize it is a dream. We don't realize that we can get out of it. We are just in the dream world. And perhaps we're even a different person or we're in a different world or we know different acquaintances. So my, my goal is that I'm able to actually detect my environment and to realize, am I daydreaming? Am I off in my imagination? Am I present here in the moment? Am I drifting off to sleep? Am I meditating? Am I caught up in a virtual reality experience? Am I dreaming? But to be constantly aware 24 seven, so that it's as though I'm never sleeping. So I have no research to back this up, but I imagine that this practice would help develop a greater sense of presence and a much clearer ability or a much greater ability to make clearer decisions. And let's say this is a simulation. And let's say this simulated reality is anything like the way computer programs or social media programs 
actually function in today's world, where every single action is logged in some sort of data log, whether that's on your computer or it's through the ISP or it's on the servers that you're connecting to, every keystroke is being logged. Now, I imagine this is what's happening in virtual reality as well. Every time I turn my head to the left or right, or every time I push a button on the controller, that's being logged. And I imagine those logs are being sent and possibly anonymized to a server. But now just imagine if you're actually living in a digital simulation that's fully immersive so that you actually cannot perceive anything other than this simulated experience. Let's say this is a digital artificial experience. That would mean very likely that every single thought that you have, every memory that you access, every step that you take, every breath that you take, this is going to turn into an 80s ballad, everything that you do is being logged in this simulation. So this actually isn't very far from what's discussed by Einstein when he discusses the space-time continuum and describing every moment in time almost like a three-dimensional piece of film. So in one moment, all of the molecules of the universe are arranged in a certain way. And if you were to move forward relatively one second through time, space-time, those molecules would all be arranged in a different way. So in a sense, space-time already has fully existed. It's already been played out. The future on into infinity has already happened and the past on into infinity has already happened. It's all one, it's all contained. And I don't know how, I haven't heard an explanation for how we perceive time, how we somehow as human beings and other living creatures were perceiving space-time in this linear forward fashion where we can't go back to yesterday and redo things. We have already done what we've done and we're doing what we're currently doing and we have no idea what we're going to do in the future. So in a sense, we're just moving through almost like a chemical reaction. So my thought is maybe there's something to do with consciousness that it is a linear forward moving reaction. We're sort of like a spark on a fuse going to dynamite, or perhaps we're like an electron moving over some sort of medium. Let's say we're an electron moving through a circuit board or through a processor. It's like it has only one direction that it can move. And that is from one charge to another. Or like, electro, like electromagnetism uh, with magnets, all of the electrons are moving in one specific direction and they can't go any other direction. So maybe since 
the nature of the brain and the nature of consciousness is electromagnetic, that's how we experience the world. That's how we experience space-time, is through the flow of electrons. It's like our consciousness is those electrons passing through the wet wiring of our biological brains. And that's also the mind of a computer. Now it can be displayed as an output, but even if it doesn't have a monitor by which to display its processes, those processes are still happening. It's just like water running through a plumbing system. The water's just gonna keep running through those pipes. And the electricity is just being routed through these processors and chips. So that's why I think we experience life linearly. So, are we in a simulation? Well, another argument people have made for why we are in a simulation is that there is a limit to the speed of light. Nothing can travel faster than light, and light can't travel faster than light. And some argue that this has to do with basically the system having limits placed on it so that it doesn't crash. Because if things were to move faster than light, then the processing power needed to continue running the simulation would be overwhelmed and it would crash. So that's one thing. Another uh, theory or, or argument for simulation theory is that everything's broken down into these, I guess they call these strong universe, universal forces, like gravitational force, um, and I forget the others, but there are six of these forces um, that make up our reality. And the fact that, I guess you could say, you know, gravity, the, the gravitational constant, for instance, it's like it is what it is. It's some arbitrary setting. And perhaps there are other universes where the, the constants are set differently. Or maybe there are infinite settings for these different constants. But the fact that there is a constant, or there are constants, that there are, you know, there is DNA, there are these molecules, like things, there are rules that we can measure mathematically that determine how things go in this universe. And if any of them were tweaked, we'd have a completely different universe. And perhaps no life would ever have come about. All right, so I've forgotten the original point of this other than I'm just talking about simulation theory and how I'm increasingly convinced of it. And let's just take Pascal's wager. If you haven't heard of this, it's basically a, four, a two by two grid 
that was developed by Pascal. He was commissioned by the church to come up with some sort of philosophical reasoning for the more curious-minded folks who weren't swallowing doctrine uh, that could give them some sort of logical reasoning to believe in God. And you have one axis, which is God exists or God doesn't exist. And on the other axis, the two values are you believe in God and you don't believe in God. And in the quadrant where you do believe in God and God exists, you go to heaven. In the quadrant where you don't believe in God and God exists, you go to hell. In the quadrant where God doesn't exist and you don't believe in God, nothing happens and it doesn't matter. In the quadrant where you do believe in God and God doesn't exist, nothing happens and it doesn't matter. So to avoid spending eternity in hell, you may as well believe in God. Because if you don't believe in God, then, and God doesn't exist, it would be no different than if you did believe in God and God didn't exist. And so you definitely want to go to heaven and you definitely don't want to go to hell and nothing happening isn't really that appealing. Well, so I would propose the same type of Pascal's wager for simulation theory. So let's say simulation, like we are in a simulation is one and then we're not in a simulation is the other. And then on the other axis, you believe you're in a simulation and you don't believe you're in a simulation. So let's say you do believe you're in a simulation and we are actually in a simulation. Well, that means you could probably have a better understanding of the nature of reality. You might be more prone to be more adventurous or do things that you'd be too afraid to try. Or you would have the idea that reality actually is malleable. And let's say we're in a simulation and you don't believe we're in a simulation. Well, then you're just going about your life and you're essentially at the mercy of the system. But the system's virtually invisible because it's so immersive. So I guess it doesn't matter. And if we're not in a simulation, and if you believe and you don't believe, well, then I guess things are maybe are a bit more permanent. Or maybe it's a bit more risky. Or maybe the world's a bit more dangerous. So let's say if you believe you're in a simulation and we're not in a simulation, you could end up doing something reckless and it's game over and that's it. Or we're not in a simulation and you don't believe it's a simulation. Well, you still have those same consequences, but you're going to be more cautious and perhaps live a safer life. All right, that's all I've got for now. I hope you enjoyed these ideas and thoughts. I certainly enjoyed exploring them myself and verbalizing them. And I'm depositing these 
podcast episodes as future material for if, let's say, in the future, future beings decide to simulate this era and they need source material by which to base their NPCs, mine could be based on the collective recordings that I've made. Similar to when Alan Watts was artificially simulated in the movie Her. All right. Goodbye, psychonauts. Take care. I love you.